When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. Our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is a legendary actor, director, producer, and author with an unprecedented entertainment legacy. He has a triple crown of iconic roles to his name, and he's won 12 Emmys, a Grammy, and five NAACP awards. He was on the cover of Time Magazine at the age of just 19 when he made his acting debut starring in the revolutionary television miniseries Roots, which smashed pretty much every viewing record there was when it first aired in 1977. To this day, the finale of that series stands as one of the most watched episodes in television history. From there, he spent 26 years as the host and producer of one of the most important and long-running shows in PBS history, Reading Rainbow. Over the show's historic run, they won 26 Emmys, a Peabody, and helped entire generations of kids learn to read. Despite all of that success, however, he's probably still best known for his role as blind chief engineer, Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge on the mega-hit Star Trek The Next Generation. That show also launched his directing career, which has been just as storied as his acting career, and his credits include the most Star Trek episodes directed by any cast member, several TV movies, and runs on hit shows like Charmed and NCIS New Orleans. Outside of entertainment, he's also been incredibly successful as an entrepreneur, and at the time of its launch, his Kickstarter campaign to reboot Reading Rainbow for the digital age set the record for most backers ever for a campaign. They raised $1 million in just 11 hours and ultimately raised a staggering total of $6.4 million. And to top it all off, he's the host of the top-ranked iTunes podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. So please, help me in welcoming one of the most enduring entertainers of all time, LeVar Burton. Wow. You, you put it all together like that, it sounds like something. Dude, it is something. <laughs> it is something, man. It's really incredible to think, especially the kind of superstardom that you had at 19, yeah, right. that you didn't implode. <sighs> Imploding is never fun. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of things um, that I, I could say about achieving such phenomenal success at such a young age, the best thing I can say about it is that I survived that period in my life. Um, because no matter how old you are, when you achieve your dreams, then you have to reset. You have to come up with new goals. You have to come up with new dreams unless your intention is just to ride that out for the remainder of your existence. I was 19 years old. I had dreamed of becoming a professional actor. That was where my focus was. All of my time, effort, energy was going into that. I had put myself in a position to be successful. I was studying theater at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. I was planning to go to New York and, and, and work on, on Broadway on the stage. And that's the thing about, about 
when you achieve success, it may not match your picture, mm. right? It may not match your vision of what you thought, but you've got to be flexible. But once you get there, no matter how old you are, you've got to deal with the trappings of success. Complacency, um, arrogance, um, a laziness. Um, and, to, and to do that successfully, you need people around you to help you find your true north. Mm. And that's, that was part of my saving grace. There were people in my life that really cared about me. Um, and, and saw my potential and wanted to help me achieve it in a safe and sane way um, without imploding. I love that. You, I love that you brought up arrogance. You said there was one point in your career after Roots, yeah. you're smashing it, TV movie after TV movie, yeah. and then people want you to audition. Right. And you're like, I'm LeVar Burton. Why am I auditioning? And uh, talk to and us that, about and, that. And that. And that was an attitude that was all... Um, that, that ultimately was self-sabotaging, right? That feeling that, well, I, I shouldn't need to audition um, crept in and, and, and it hurt me. And, and I had to learn that lesson that, you know, just, just because this happened doesn't mean that that's gonna happen for the rest of your life. I mean, the thing I think I'm most proud of, Tom, is that almost 43 years, I'm still here. I'm still viable. I'm still um, active. I'm, I still believe I have something to contribute. Um, I still feel like I have value and purpose. And, um, and, and that is hard fought, hard earned, hard won. Um, I had to, in terms of, of that particular <laughs> dynamic auditioning, I had to reframe what acting meant to me. And I had to find a reason to want to get in that room again. Now, you know, give me in the room. Give me an opportunity to compete. Um, but that, you know, that, that arrogance crept in. And, and it's poison. How did you work poison. your way out of that? Uh, hard work. Um, therapy, right? Being willing to admit that I was not a finished product, that I was in process. And, and being willing to, to admit that I didn't know everything. When you're young, when you're 19, 20, 21, I've got a, my daughter will be 25 in a few days, and she's just beginning her career as an actor in this industry, and it's hard for me to, to give her advice because she's so sure. She knows everything! <laughs> you, that's a natural part of being young is that sort of self-suredness. Um, so you have to be willing to be open, to be humble, and to be willing to acknowledge that you're in a process, you're on a journey. I really find that fascinating, especially when you think about how long you've been in the game, how easy it would have been for you to get cynical, yeah. and how you haven't in any way, shape, or form. So what is, like, what is that key, that thing that you've captured that allows you to continue to be so vibrant, so excitable. I mean, I just love life, you know? I think that's, I'm, you know, Jessica Rabbit says in, in Roger Rabbit, I, I, I'm just drawn that way, you know? Um, that's just a part of who I am. I have a, a natural curiosity, which I don't, I don't think I've, by becoming an artist instead of a, cl a cleric, I never squashed my natural curiosity mm. for life. 
Um, How do people avoid that? Because I think that's so important. To stay in touch with those aspects of us that come naturally as children is part of the challenge of growing and maturing into adulthood. Um, like I said, following an artistic path really helped me hold on to all of the things, the imagination, um, chief first and foremost, that, that really help you hold on to those essential aspects of childhood. A willingness to suspend disbelief, a willingness to believe in yourself, a willingness to, to believe that if you can dream it up, you can get it done, right? Um, those, aren't, those shouldn't remain the province of childhood. And, and I, I think without consciously choosing it, I've followed a path that has enabled me to stay in contact with those aspects of, of who I naturally am. Talk to me about self-belief, because I can't imagine an industry where it would be harder to cultivate than acting, where you're, you're <laughs> going through periods where just yeah. the phone isn't ringing. Yeah. Of course, I didn't know when I decided to become an actor that, that there would be so much rejection <laughs> involved and that it would be so difficult to, um, to maintain a sense of self in the face of so much information to the contrary. Um, it's just a part of the game is having the ability to continue to believe in yourself, even, like I say, in the face of evidence to the contrary. When you walk into a room full of people on an audition and you walk out without really any sense of how you did or what their response was, and oftentimes you don't get any feedback except for they went in another direction, um, you have to be able to communicate to yourself that, you know what, okay, that one's, that one's done. What's next? What's next? Um, and I think trusting in, having the ability to trust in what you've decided to do plays a really important and key role. Um, I believe I am doing with my life exactly what I should be doing with my life. You brought up purpose a couple times, which I think is really powerful and I think is something that a lot of people never really find in their lives or never create in their lives, whatever. Um, I want to go back to that moment where you realize, okay, I'm, I'm reading Nietzsche, I'm reading Kierkegaard, it's, 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 I'm reading Eastern philosophy, like you said, and it's really opening the world up to you. Yeah. At that moment, it would have been easy to see that as a loss of purpose because you were so focused on seminary. How did you not see it like that? And was there any element of just following, sort of looking at your life and saying, where's my bliss, essentially? Yeah, where, what am I good at? I mean, that was, that was the first question that I asked myself in the mirror, you know? Um, and that mirror talk is, is pretty, pretty critical at, at, at any point in our lives, but... I looked in the mirror and I asked, so what am I good at? And, and I had established a relationship with theater arts and, and I, had, um, I had sort of advanced in the ranks of the theater department at, at St. Pius X. Um, and I was getting a lot of, of joy and positive feedback from the arts. And I thought, well, maybe that's something I could do. And I began to, to, to focus on that. As you reinvent yourself, how do you tap into that? Do you lead with... Um okay, the next movement of my life is going to be this purpose in service of this thing? I wish I could cop to the belief that it's all purposeful on my part, but I, I don't feel like it is. 
I feel like I have made the best of opportunities that have come my way um, in life. I didn't, I didn't get the kind of lifetime um, where I can do whatever I want. I mean, I, I, I come from a lower middle class background, single parent household. Um, I could have been one of those statistics with which we are all too familiar. Single mom, worked nine to five. I was a latchkey kid. Um, I had every opportunity to become one of those statistics, but I had a person who had not only hopes and dreams for me, she had expectations, and she, and she exercised those expectations in a really demonstrative way. When you're really going after something, huge expectations, whether it's to not disappoint mom or you set the expectations on yourself, mm. how do you push yourself, mm-hmm. be demanding of yourself, mm-hmm. and still love yourself? How do you push yourself, be demanding on yourself, and still love yourself? I've never seen those as mutually exclusive acts. I think self-love is all about pushing yourself, uh, demanding of yourself that you stretch and, and reach your boundaries. Um, because I didn't grow up in, in, in what I would consider to be comfortable circumstances. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I just naturally assumed that hard work was a part of the deal, right? Because it is. I mean, that's my perspective. I grew up in a, in a generation where hard work was just a part of the deal. It's, I think it's shifting now. Um, they say that this is the first generation that is not going to automatically do better than their parents in, in terms of achieving the American dream. And so the question becomes for, for these kids, so what's it all for? Why am I working so hard? And, and the tendency is to, you know, to not incorporate that as a part of your value system. I, I didn't see that I had a choice my mother was smart enough to educate me to the, to the challenges that I would face in life, right? Trying to be successful in, in American society as a black male. So I knew what I was up against. And I knew that in order to achieve some semblance of success, which was, again, my definition of success was to have that life that I saw others having, and experiencing the American dream. So what am I going to do in order to achieve that? I'm going to work my ass off. Because the message was, if you do, this is possible for you. So the notion that hard work and self-love are, are somehow at polar opposites, are working against one another, that's a foreign concept to me. And how do you deal with yourself when you fail at something? And I, I have learned, um, especially in my in, in, in more recent years, that it is our failures that really um, benefit us more sometimes than our success. Um, I've learned, I think I've learned as much from, from my failures as I have from my successes, per, perhaps more. But I recognize that they're really important in terms of the, the overall growth uh, of a human being, that you have to be willing to take risks Part of taking risks is failing. Failure teaches us resilience, and resilience is an essential quality for a human being to have and exercise liberally. We're going to get beat down in the world, but it's, it's our resilient nature that really proves out to be, I think, our, our, our most 
attractive quality as human beings, the ability to bounce back, to look at, at situations and, and just reset yourself, right? Reset yourself. What do you think the role of passion is in resiliency? Um, passion, I think, fuels the, the effort in, in being resilient, right? I think passion, a passionate underpinning um, is, is what helps you tell yourself that story that wasn't this time, may not be the next time, but I'm going to keep trying until I get there, right? Um, passion is the antidote to self-doubt because when you're in your passion space, you don't have time to have all that negative talk invade your thought process. When you're in your passion space, you know, you're, you're leaning forward in the world. When you're in your passion space, you're actually looking for a way to be effective. It's passion that gets me through the day. What do you say to people that come to you and say, I just don't have a passion. I don't know what to do. I wish I... I, I wow. That is a very sad thing. Um, to contemplate not having a passion for anything. I believe that everybody, at, you just haven't been exposed to enough. If you haven't found what you're passionate about, you just haven't been exposed to enough. You haven't found it yet. Not that you don't have any. You just haven't, you haven't found what your triggers are yet. Um, and they say it has everything to do with, you know, what you're good at, um, where your bliss lies, um, but more than anything else, I, 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 I think there's something that, that is alive in, in the culture today in America where there's a lot of feelings of entitlement about, I deserve, I, I deserve because I am. And, and that just, it, 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 it puzzles the shit out of me. Quite frankly, I deserve because I am. Uh, okay, and how's that working for you? You know? I just, I guess I'm old school in the respect that I believe in hard work and I believe, that in, I believe in setting goals and I believe in, in you know, working as hard as you can um, towards those goals and that that will bring its own reward because it's not always about the destination, you know? It, it, it actually is about the journey. Let's talk about that journey and the importance of setting goals. I think that's really important for people to understand. Mm. Um, tell, tell about your encounter with Ben Vereen and um, what you said is, is the power of having dreams. <laughs> when I decided to become an actor, um, I sort of locked in on Ben Vereen as, as the standard, the platinum standard. I mean, I'm 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, and I wait two hours for Ben Vereen to come to the backstage door so I can get his autograph. Um, he finally comes out. He finally, he finally comes out. I take a Polaroid picture. I have him sign my program. I shake his hand. I say, Mr. Vereen, my name is LeVar Burton. I'm an actor, and I hope to work with you one day. That was the summer of 1972. The, the summer of 1976, I was working with Ben Vereen and Roots. 
it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Do you set intention like that in your life frequently? Yes. yes. What does your goal setting process look like? Um, a lot of, uh, it, it involves a lot of tools that I've picked up over the years. Um, meditation, visual, visualization. I used to, I used to, you know, set intentions by writing them down and then I would put them under my pillow and I would sleep on them or tape them above my, my head mm. where I slept. Um, so that, so that the vision, the dream occupied both my waking and sleeping activities. And I would write those daily intentions and, and just a, a continuous keeping in touch with what the goal, whatever that was, was. Mm. Um, working it, working it, working it inside and out. That's, I think, what it takes. One thing I really hope people see in your story is the degree of intention that you have in the choices that you make. And you need only look at your career to see how um, intentional you've been with the, even the three things you're most known for um, are just so positive and so optimistic, um, very much empowering. And then I think the thing that really tells that story is what you had to do to become a director. Mm. And I think people think, oh, well, he was an actor on the show, so of course they let him direct. Walk people through what you had to do on your days off to get a shot to direct? That was a, there was a process involved. Um, Rick Berman, the executive producer of, of Star Trek The Next Generation, was very happy to, to help facilitate um, one of the actors on the show who wanted to cross that line and step over and become a director. Um, and what we, called, what we called Star Trek University was established when Jonathan Frakes made that decision to, to, to step over and, and, and try directing. Um, it was established that you would get a complete and comprehensive education in all aspects of, of storytelling on, on film. Um, you had to come in on your days off, you had to attend production meetings, you had to uh, attend spotting sessions, scoring sessions, you had to spend time with every editor in the rotation. Um, it was, as I say, it was, a, it was an immersion in the the process and becoming fluent in all the languages that that make up visual storytelling and, and and when you completed that process you got a shot whether you got a second shot after that really depended on how you performed your first time out but you did not get a shot until you had demonstrated the commitment commensurate enough to have earned the opportunity mm. I love that. And I love how much energy and effort you put in on your spare time. Absolutely. And you've said about directing, and I love this, that directing is as much about leadership yes. as it is about storytelling. Yeah, it is. So what, what does great leadership look like? <laughs> well, I don't know. But I have learned over time that I like to lead by example. Um, and that, that my leadership style is all about communication. Um, I believe that the quality of our efforts is determined by the quality of our communication. Um, when I'm directing, you will hear, I'm very, very vocal. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an alpha personality. Um, I'm really, really vocal on the set, and I'm loud. And, <laughs> and I let everybody know what's going on, because if you are going to get 130 or so people to all be on the same page, they need to know what's going on. So, um, I incorporate all kinds of, of methods and methodologies just to let folks know what's happening, where we are, what we're doing. This is a rehearsal, all right? Um, and now let's shoot, and, and, and let's go again. 
You said that one of the things that makes a great director is the ability to make a decision. Ah, yeah. How do you deal with self-doubt? How do you, like, how, directing is, is, isn't one decision. It is like relentless. It is a relentless parade of decisions. Mm -hmm. How do you have, well, what method do you have for making a decision when you're not entirely sure? That's really my question. Uh, you know, Tony Robbins says, fake it till you make it. Um, and there's, there's, <laughs> there's certainly some of that going on. Act as if, right? Act as if. Um, just make a decision. Make a decision. You just draw a hard and fast line in the sand. Well, if it's necessary, absolutely. Talk to me about leading from the front. Yeah. So why is that so effective, and how do you do it without overpowering people or making them feel like you're stepping on their toes? Yeah, that's, that's a dance, isn't it? Um, having a sense of humor helps. Um, See, I, I, I believe that filmmaking is a really collaborative effort. And I believe in challenging everybody who's a part of the process to rise to their highest level of expression. I'm bringing my A game. I know I'm bringing my A game. And I want you to bring yours, which means it's my job to create an atmosphere, an environment where you feel comfortable bringing your A game, right? And if you're bringing your A game and I'm bringing my A game and everybody else is bringing their A game, um, we're going to be, at the very least, we're going to be proud of the effort that we put forth here, right? We will not have been wasting our time. We were doing shit. Um, that's what I mean by leading, leading by example, just creating that environment where people feel comfortable making suggestions, bringing their ideas, um, serving the storytelling. What do you say to somebody who makes a mistake? Next? Just move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Move on. Mistakes are a part of it. Mistakes are a part of it. Yeah. How do you create energy when you're there on set? It's a long night, yeah. 14 hours, 16 hour. Yeah. How do you get people up again and moving? What do you remind them of? Is it the end goal? Is it the process? Is it you just bring the energy? It's me, me bringing the energy. Me bringing the energy, trying to make it contagious. Yeah. Energy is contagious, though. It is contagious. You've said you're an energy junkie. Uh -huh. What do you mean by that? I, I'm, I'm built to want to surf life, right? Um, bring it at me. Bring, let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's engage. That's just my natural, that's my default, right? Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's do it. That's... That's my default. I'm an energy junkie. Because it's, it's by, by putting myself in these different situations um, and different dynamics that I get to respond. I get to be activated in something that, that feels vital, that feels meaningful. Talk to me about sci-fi. You've had such a long-standing interest in science fiction. What is it about that that you think is either culturally relevant or I guess just potentially purely entertaining? For me, science fiction has always, um, it's always invited us to ask what I believe are two of the most important words in language, in combination. What if, right? And, and by contemplating that what if, we, we literally invite ourselves into the process of manifestation. And science fiction is a body of literature that has really contributed to the continuing evolution of the human journey through the inspiration that it's provided. 
There's a reason why we have the technology that we do. It's because, at least in part, because fans of science fiction have been influenced by those ideas and have taken those ideas and put them into practice in the world, right? There was some kid, I'm sure, who watched the original episodes of Star Trek, kept seeing Kirk pull out that, that uh, communicator, right? Flip it open, call the ship, have Scotty beam him up. That kid grew up, became a designer, an engineer, designed a product that, you know, is more, more powerful, more prevalent than, than the toaster. We've all had a flip cell phone in our hand or seen someone use one. That which we focus our imaginations on, Tom, is what we manifest in this realm. That's the secret. That's the deal, right? Human beings are manifesting machines, and we manifest either consciously or unconsciously. But we manifest, right? We manifest. It's what we do. And so the power of science fiction literature and its connection to the what-if is it actually inspires us. It invites us to create the world as a reflection of, of what we can imagine. You said that we manifest consciously or unconsciously. Sure. How do you make sure that that process becomes a conscious one? That's, that is the job of self-discovery. That's why um, being willing to engage in a rigorous process of self-examination which leads to self-discovery, is so critical to every human being. So getting back into manifestation, Mm. how much um, are you trying to map out like the movements in your life? I'd say maybe 35, 40% is is me making moves, right? Um, The rest is, let's see what happens, right? And so how do you keep going with the Ford momentum? How do you create that in your life? What's the other 60 to 70%? Knowing that there's going to be an outcome one way or another. There's going to be an out- the step will reveal itself? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll either be successful at what I'm trying to do or not, right? And, and, and being okay with the idea that each are equally valid and both have potential benefits to me. How much, you've talked really eloquently about gamification, video games. Yeah. How much do you gamify your own life? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I feel like I'm, I'm dealing with a stack deck, actually. Um, because when I look at my life, it's clear to me that I couldn't possibly have dreamed up uh, a life as rich and fulfilling and satisfying as this one is. I, I just don't believe I had the capacity to do that. My imagination wasn't that greedy, right? So I, I recognize that I am living a really blessed existence. And, and as I look back on my life and I sort of take stock in, in the kind of life that I've led, I really feel like there's the hand of some unseen force at work here because it, this can't be all me. I mean, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good. What do you do to respect that? Not fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate 
that's the ultimate way to respect it. That's the ultimate payoff, isn't it? To take advantage of the opportunities that, that you find yourself And how do you make sure that you're prepared for that? You, you never know. It's only in the execution. It's only in the trying. Sitting on the bench will only result in splinters. You know? Life is a, is a contact sport. You got to get in there and test yourself. Otherwise, you'll never know. I love that. All right, before I ask my last question, yeah. where can these guys find you online? Online? Um, on Twitter, at LeVar Burton. Um, if you're interested in, in, in my mission and what I'm doing, go to LeVarBurtonKids.com. After many, many, many years of, of representing the Reading Rainbow brand, I'm now uh, working with a brand of, uh, uh, that I actually own. Um, I'm doing the same thing that I've, I've always done. I'm just doing it um, with a brand that I own. So LeVarBurtonKids.com. Um, check out my podcast, uh, LeVar Burton Reads. Um, I, 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 love, uh, I love doing this podcast uh, because I'm a storyteller. I mean, that's how I see myself. And I, I, just, I, I enjoy storytelling in, in, in all of its potential forms. And, and for me, sitting with text, reading aloud is such a pure form of storytelling because it's all about the imagination. It's engaging a listener in, in their imagination and painting a picture, creating a mood um, that, that's really transformative. It really, it really can be. So uh, LeVar Burton Reads, where I read a short story in every episode, um, wherever you get your podcasts. Love it. My last question, mm-hmm. what's the impact that you want to have on the world? I want to leave here knowing that I did everything I could to champion a human right, in my view. Literacy is a human right. And, um, and I, will, I, I will go to my grave believing that my life will have been worthwhile if I was able to successfully communicate that idea and, in, and encourage and inspire um, people to become literate to actually enjoy um, the freedom that literacy brings. I love that. Lavar, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's incredible. Guys, A, I know you already know this man, so I do not have to convince you, but you're going to want to dive into his world. There's something so unique in the way that he is able to leverage entertainment to bring that raw, infectious enthusiasm and optimism, the thing, the very thing that's going to carry you through the hard times, the times where the phone isn't ringing, where you can't figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. Someone that can give you that kind of excitement, someone that can transmit it, that is his true gift, is to be able to communicate and transmit the most beautiful parts of the human condition. And when you look at his body of work, there are few people that have had the consistency that he has had. And I it's literally astonishing. It's hard enough to work once as an actor, let alone over and over and over, and let alone in a way where everything comes together to be so optimistic and empowering. It is absolutely beautiful and in no way, shape, or form a surprise that he's had the level of enduring success in an industry that churns and burns and is always looking for the next thing. 
it's because he's had that ability to look inward, to have the self-awareness, to know where his bliss lies, to know what the passion is, and to use his words to do the things that make him feel life. And I hope that you guys heard the things that he talks about. I hope that you will feel your life in the way that he has. Not that you follow in his exact footsteps, but you do the mirror time. You find those things that make you feel alive. If you take that from him, it will change you forever if you let it. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.